Questions and Answers. What are the principles that made America great? How are those principles revealed in our founding documents in history? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucaran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our broadcast, Pat and his guest, Rick Green, examine the formula that led to the remarkable rise of the great nation and land that we love, America. Now, here's Pat. We used to acknowledge God all throughout our country, and we decided really about 50 years ago, starting with Supreme Court decisions in the early 60s, uh, that we were going to start pushing God out of the public square and that we just didn't think it was even worthwhile to acknowledge him publicly. And it has had a, a devastating, devastating impact on our culture. Yes. Now, you've got a legal background here, so tell us a little bit what it means, separation of church and state. A lot of people don't realize churches and individuals can't violate that particular clause. Only the government can. That's right. Good, great point, Pat. I mean, it, it, we, we flipped it on its head. It's actually kind of funny. I'll go to law schools or college campuses, and I'll say, okay, where is, where is this phrase separation of church and state? And they'll often say it's in, you know, it's in the First Amendment or it's in the Constitution. I'll say, no, it's not, in, you know, or it's in the Declaration. It's not. And typically in law schools, they'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's first, I've, already, I've even had a class on First Amendment separation of church and state. And so I get them to, you know, I say, open up your constitutions. Typically their answer is, you know, they don't give us a constitution here at law school. They just tell us what to think about it. So I had to pass out pocket constitutions. And then we open up the First Amendment. And I go, okay, look, let's just all read it together. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Nowhere in the constitution does it say separation of church and state. That phrase, that, that particular vernacular, if you will, that comes from one letter of one founding father well after the Constitution was established, more than a decade after. And it was actually an individual act on his part, not even a government act. And, and what it was was one letter where Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptist Association, and he was responding to their concern that because of the, the freedom of religion being in the, in the First Amendment the way it was, their concern was, okay, is it possible that people would begin to interpret this to mean that government was giving us our freedom of religion rather than a requirement to protect it? You know, a lot of people today think the Bill of Rights gives you these rights. Very important that we recognize the Bill of Rights doesn't give you any rights. The Bill of Rights is actually protecting the rights that God gave you and saying government can't touch those things. And government's job is to protect those rights for you. So anyway, that was kind of their question. And Jefferson responded and said, don't worry. There's a wall of separation of church and state. Government will never come in and tell you how to worship unless you're doing something that, uh, you know, violates the public good, like a child sacrifice. You know, if you got, you know, if you got some crazy religion that's doing child sacrifice or whatever, that's when the state would have a, uh, a duty to come in. But otherwise, state can't tell you at all how to worship, what church you go to, or, or any of those things. And man, I mean, you talk about totally taken out of context. That letter was virtually ignored for you know years and years and years wasn't quoted by any court wasn't considered the you know uh, the the interpretation of the first amendment at all and then what happened was was in the 1900s courts started quoting the full letter actually late 1800s the first time but they quoted the full letter so they didn't take it out of context they quoted the full letter to make the argument for the fact that we're a religious nation, a Christian nation, and that you've got to let people live out their religion, and you can't use the state to prevent it. So it was initially used for the right thing. But then in 1947, Hugo Black was on the, on the U.S. Supreme Court, the former KKK 
you know, guy and just, you know, not good. And he, he is the one that gave us this opinion where he lifted the eight words and he used only the wall of separation of church and state. He changed the meaning of it and people started quoting from his decision. And for the next 70 years, we've quoted that phrase 3,000 times in, in federal judicial opinions and hardly quote the First Amendment at all. I mean, you, the, the actual words of the First Amendment are quoted very little, but this phrase that people began to think the Constitution actually said was quoted all the time, and courts were just going off the rails because they weren't going back to the actual Constitution and what the founders actually did. Now, Pat, I wasted all that time of, of describing Jefferson's letter because, in truth, Jefferson's letter should be completely irrelevant when we're trying to figure out what the First Amendment means, because Jefferson had nothing to do with the First Amendment. He was not one of the framers of the Constitution. He was not in Congress when the First Amendment, you know, the Bill of Rights was was adopted. Uh, wasn't in the state legislature, state legislatures that were ratifying that amendment. So we shouldn't be taking his letter and applying it. We should be going to guys like James Madison and others and saying, what did they mean? by this Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. What do they mean by that? And and Madison told us, he said, what we meant was just you don't want to have a single national denomination, which for them was the Church of England. That's what they were trying to prevent. They wanted to make sure we didn't end up with another Church of England. So sorry for going so long on that one. But oh, no, that's great. That, that That's a big, big issue, and we've got had such a misinterpretation of what it means and even where it came from. Yeah, in fact, you know, Jefferson, the guy that's credited with this in 1803, granted money, you know, and he signed that bill uh, for a church to do missionary work among the Kaskaskian Indians. That's right. You know, so... That's right, and a year before that, in fact, two days after he wrote the letter to the Danbury Baptist Church, so I think it was January 1st, 1802, he writes the letter, and then two days later on January 3rd, he goes to church at the U.S. Capitol, so, so let that one sink in for a minute, churches meeting at the U.S. Capitol on federal property, and Jefferson shows up to run them all out and tell them they can't worship on federal property. No, no, he didn't do that. He actually showed up to worship with them. So, I mean, he's the guy that started church services at the Capitol. Once they moved into the big part of the Capitol, four different churches started meeting there. I mean, it's just crazy what we think they meant when you look at what they actually did then you get a much better interpretation. But he, he literally shows up to go to church on federal property. If he had meant separation of church and state the way the ACLU and all the left-wing judges today interpret it to mean, then he was violating it himself just two days after he wrote the letter. Yes, you know, and like you said, you've got to read the original documents themselves, what the founding fathers wrote. I didn't, you know, read the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution until I got to graduate school. And I was hearing this other side that you're presenting, and I was like, well, wait a minute. I didn't know know it said that. And then I actually read it and realized that the biblical and Christian concepts in the founding documents were just undeniable and somehow we had gotten a skewed version you know of our american history so you got to no go back to the founding documents you got you have to and 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 look if people are saying oh you know gosh rick pat where am i supposed to get all these original documents go read them the, the good news is today with our technology you can find pretty much any letter of any founding father any of the laws they pass all of it online so it's very easy to do and if you go to wallbuilders.com we're really making it easy for you to search that that, that kind of stuff there are good commentators out there that have gone and compiled a lot of this stuff that you can go quickly read i always encourage people when you're 
when you're looking for stuff to read on the founders themselves and, and get their original quotes and that sort of thing, when you go in, in to buy a book, just look at the back. And if the if you go to the back and the bibliography and, the, and all the footnotes and everything, if they're if all their quotes are from books that are after say 1900. That's probably not the book you want. Look for one that's going back to the late 1700s and all throughout the early 1800s and actually quoting the Founding Fathers. If you do that, it'll, it'll really help you. And of course, we have lots of resources at wallbuilders.com. We encourage people to come to Patriot Academy where we, where we teach these things. But the information's out there. And, and you may have listeners that are saying, you know, why does this matter to me? Why should I care about what happened 200 years ago or what they actually believed? If you love freedom, if you want your children to live in freedom, then you have to understand the importance of protecting the constitutional principles that the nation was built upon. And sometimes we think the Constitution is so good that we don't have to worry about it. But if, if the Constitution is going to protect our freedom, we have to protect the Constitution. And actually, uh, one of the founders will disagree with what I just said because he, he, he actually said it's a great mistake. It's John Francis Mercer. He's one of the framers that, that gave us the Constitution, so one of those 55 we were talking about earlier. He said, it's a great mistake to suppose the paper we are to propose will govern the United States. So he actually said the Constitution itself is not going to govern the United States. He said it's the men whom it will bring into the government and the interest they have in maintaining it, meaning maintaining the Constitution, that is to govern them. The paper will only mark out the mode and the form, men of the substance, and must do the business. So what he's saying is the Constitution means nothing if we put people in office that are willing to govern around it, uh, shred it, modify it without the people ever having a vote. I mean, all the things that have been happening. He said, if we put people in office like that, the Constitution means nothing, and, and you lose the, the, the parameters and the jurisdictions on, on government. But if we choose wisely and we make sure that we know these things, and this is back to why your listeners should be interested in this, we have to know these things if we want to protect freedom. So then we can choose good leaders that are willing to preserve these things and not try to govern around, but, but instead actually uphold the Constitution. And that's what will get you good government and, and protect that freedom for future generations. People sometimes think government, you know, I don't care about government. It's not, you know, I don't, I don't want to mess with government. Well, government's going to mess with you if you don't make sure you're keeping it in check. It's a responsibility and a duty for, on every one of us to make sure we know what our government is, how it's supposed to work, and we participate in choosing good leaders to run that government. Yes, and, and when you talk about freedom, you know, that's a biblical concept here. But the definition of freedom that our founding fathers had is different from the definition of freedom that people buy into today. You know, I mean, when people think, well, freedom, that means I can do anything I want, whenever I want, however I want, and the government should protect me from, you know, and allow me to do that. Well, that's not what the, you know, founding fathers definition of freedom was, isn't it? I totally agree, man. That's that's um, that's part of our challenge, especially with this this younger generation coming up. Is there's there's almost a anti-government attitude, you know, that I don't want government to do anything. I don't want government telling us anything is right or wrong or or any of that. That's that's anarchy. I mean, that's that that actually right. leads you down the road of you know a culture that just completely destroys itself. And in some ways, we we're seeing indications of that. That's why it's so important for us to wake up and and pay attention to this. But you're right. I mean, their their idea of liberty was liberty from God. So if God's the source of it, then you have to live that liberty respecting his authority and his boundaries. And and, and that's not a, you know, sometimes people today think that's a bad thing. Oh, I'm being limited in what I can do, or somebody's, you know, God's going to tell me what. It's actually a, a favor. God's blessed us and given us this wonderful gift of an instruction manual where he's saying, look, I created you. I know how you work. I know how your brain works. I know how your body works. I know how your relationships work. 
and here's an instruction manual to tell you how to live that life and how to set up your government and how to operate and get the most bang for your buck, get the most blessings out of life that you possibly can, have the best relationships, live in the most freedom, have the most joy and the least pain, if you just follow these instructions that I've given you. And, you know, we, we call them the Ten Commandments. We call, we call it the Word of God. I mean, but it is literally an instruction manual for our lives. And what this, this group that's saying, you know, liberty means I get to do anything and everything, what they're really saying is, it's my life. I'm going to do anything I want. I don't care what the maker said to do. I don't care what the creator that, that made me says. And that actually is about as smart, uh, Pat, as me pulling up at the gas station in my Dodge Ram uh, pickup truck that's a gasoline truck. And the instruction manual inside the glove box tells me very clearly, put gasoline in here, not diesel. That makes about as much sense as me pulling up and saying, you know what? This is my truck. I'm going to do with my truck whatever I want. That manufacturer's not going to tell me what to do. I'm putting diesel in my truck today. Well, you and I both know I'm probably not getting out of the driveway without that thing breaking down because I didn't follow the instruction manual of the creator of that truck. The same way we have a creator who gave us an instruction manual, not only for our personal lives, but for our public lives and for our government and how our interactions with each other ought to work. And when we follow that instruction manual, huge blessings. That's how America changed the world, because it followed the instruction manual that God gave us. The more we've gotten away from that over the last 40, 50 years, the less of a blessing we've been as a nation, and the more we see these cracks in our foundation and, frankly, some crumbling in our foundation happening. Yeah, tell us, why is there such a strong desire to remove our Christian heritage from our history books? You know, let me give you a couple of good examples. You know, when I grew up, I thought we fought the Revolutionary War because of taxation without representation. In other words, it was just purely economical. I didn't know the real reason we fought the Revolutionary War. And then the Civil War. I was taught it was pure economics. You know, the North had machines, and they wanted to sell them to the South and make a whole lot of money, and the South said, no, we want the slaves. And it was purely economics. But there was a moral justification for going to war in in both of those arenas that, that we don't learn in school anymore. No, that's exactly right, Pat, and that's the right, that's the right phrase, moral justification, and, and, and we've lost our moral clarity now. Once you get into moral relativism where anything goes and everything's okay, then moral justification doesn't carry much weight. It's all about what you can gain for yourself, and so then it all becomes economic and, and financial, and you're, you described it exactly right. I mean, the textbook companies have, and, the, and, the, and, frankly, some of the legislatures have now pushed for this view of everything was an economic basis. And that taxation without representation is actually number 17 mm-hmm. out of 27 reasons why yeah. we declared our independence. I mean, it's way down the list. They had judicial tyranny reasons. They had, you know, religious liberty reasons. They had all kinds of other other reasons. And for us to ignore that and, and act like it was all about the money, it's it's a shame. And, and I hope that people even that are listening now will, will become hungry to learn truth and hungry to learn that, that history and, and begin to go study it and then teach their children and their grandchildren children. And then, frankly, Pat, I hope your listeners start running for school boards and state legislatures and getting involved. And I know you have an international audience. I mean, everything we've talked about applies to any nation. I mean, these principles of liberty are not just American principles. I mean, these are literally laws of nature and nature's God. That's the phrase actually in the Declaration of Independence. This is how nature works. It's the way God designed it. And so if you take these timeless principles of liberty and you apply them, they will work every single time that they're tried if you apply them. And, and that's what we've, we've got to come back to is say, look, th- we know what works and what doesn't work. Let's stop running down this road. And this is probably the answer to your, <laughs> your actual question, why people want to remove this stuff. Let's stop running down this road that says no restraints. I, I want to take this stuff out of the history books because if I can get God out of the equation, 
that means I get to do anything and everything that I want. That's part of the nature of man. That's our depravity. We don't want to have limitations. We don't, we don't want to, to, to be told something's right or wrong because we may feel better doing what we know to be wrong. But if we want a good society, if we want our, our children to be in a place where they can be safe and free and, and prosperous, then we've got to sit down and think about, well, what produces that? The, the, what produces a good, free, powerful society? And it's these principles of liberty that, that yes, require some restraint on man. It means having a concept of, of right and wrong and saying that in our culture, in our society, these things that are wrong and harmful and, and that, that, that hurt our society and our culture, we're, we're not going to allow for them. We're not going to go down this road of just let everybody do anything that they want because it doesn't affect just that person. It affects the people around them. And in the long run, it ends up affecting the whole culture. Yeah, one of the things, you know, our founding fathers understood is that in order for a democracy or a republic to work, the people themselves have to be a morally good people who can govern themselves. And in order to be a people who can govern themselves, you need a universal moral law upon which we all abide by. And that can only come from a belief in a God who has given us a universal moral law. And our founding fathers understood that. Without that, you, you can't have a free nation. Yeah, it's right, because if you, you know, just think about it. The more you lose a sense of moral clarity and a moral law in a, in a culture, the less moral a culture becomes, the less free it becomes. And the reason is because you think that you're throwing off the, you know, the, the, the chains of control or whatever, and that somehow I'm going to be more free. But what happens is when you, when you do that and you get rid of the moral compass and it gets to the point where anybody can do anything, then people take more and more advantage of each other, and, they, and it plays the lowest common denominator and the depravity of man. And then what happens is you need more government in order to save us from each other because you've know, you got to have more government. If, if, if everybody's becoming immoral and doing whatever they want, you have more raping, more murdering, more stealing, more all the things you don't want. And so then you have to have more government to try to stop those things, more government regulations in the marketplace, more government more, everywhere you turn. And then sooner or later, that you know, obviously the greater, the, the bigger government becomes, the the, the smaller your freedom uh, will be. And so, where you wanted to have total freedom to do anything you want, you end up becoming, ending up in a tyrannical, you know, government situation because of the nature of man and how things work. So, if you want liberty, you got to have morality, and to have morality, you got to have religion. You got to have these truths. That's why the the you know organized religion actually has been such a blessing to the world because it actually teaches us right from wrong and teaches us how to live amongst ourselves and, and with other people in a, in a, in a free society and, and not, uh, not lead to that, that tyranny. So people stop, you need to stop being afraid of morality and actually embracing morality and being thankful when we, when we have leaders that have moral clarity. We need to be praying for leaders that have moral clarity and being able to see right from wrong. Yeah, you mentioned in your answer there that freedom's triangle that our founding fathers understood and every society needs in order to be a free and a just and a prosperous society. You just mentioned it there, you know, faith, morality, and freedom. And, you know, they're all built on the concept of a belief, you know, in a God who has given us a moral law. And you need that freedom's triangle if any nation out there is going to be free and prosperous. That's right. That's right. Any, any piece of that that's lost... It's like that three-legged stool, right? You lose any one of those and, and, and it falls. Yeah, you know, and our founding fathers were quite clear on that, that belief in God is essential for free and prosperous nation. I think Washington said in his farewell address here, he said, of all 
the disposition and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion, and I'm pretty sure he had Christianity in mind, and morality are indispensable supports. Yeah, no doubt. And think about what he's saying. I mean, he's not even saying personal prosperity, he's saying political prosperity, meaning the culture, the society. And so without religion and morality, you can't have it. And the reason he said that is because he's watching the French Revolution, and they're trying to get what we've got. They wanted Libertas, but they tried to do, instead of liberty from God, they decided to do liberty without God. And he's watching it, that experiment completely fail. And so he gives a warning to the, to the United States in his farewell address and says, don't ever go down that road, uh, that, that of everything, every piece you can think of, every, every principle that, that makes a nation free, of all those habits and dispositions. He said religion and morality are indispensable supports. And, and in fact, kind of challenged us. He said, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism that would work to subvert those great pillars. So if we want to be patriots, if we want to be patriotic, if we want to you know, be good for our country, we, we can't push to remove religion and morality. We should be pushing to, to strengthen those things. I'll give you, I'll give you two others. From, uh, one is from John Hancock, because I think it's important for us to shift, make sure we don't just realize how important this is, but also shift in our own mindset. This is important, and it's my job. It's my responsibility. And if I'm going to be free and I'm going to enjoy the blessings, I've got to bear the burden. I've got to got to do my part. And so this word duty was used by the founding fathers a lot. Here's John Hancock. He said, it's the indispensable duty of all men to acknowledge Almighty God as the fountain of mercies and the giver of every good gift. John Adams, he said, as the safety and prosperity of nations ultimately and essentially depend on the protection and blessing of Almighty God and the national acknowledgement. Notice he didn't say personal. He's talking about public acknowledgments. The national acknowledgement of this truth is not only an indispensable duty which the people owe to him, but a duty whose natural influence is favorable to the promotion of that morality and piety without which social happiness cannot exist, nor the blessings of a free government be enjoyed. Now, all that fancy early American English, he's literally saying, if you want the, the, the things that, that we all say we want, the blessings of a free government, the social happiness, he said you can't get those things without religion and morality, and it's the duty of Americans to have a national acknowledgement of this truth that we need God in this equation if we want those things. Yes, and it's the duty of every citizen, as you mentioned there. And, you know, that's one of the things we're learning. You know, I get to travel around the world and see countries that are trying to establish democracies and republics moving from a dictatorship or socialism and trying to establish democracies. And it is incredibly difficult. I mean, in countries in Asia and Africa, it looks like the democracies are going to fall apart and they may go back to some kind of military rule or dictatorship because there's not that biblical heritage that we have had of that, you know, universal God-given moral law. That's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, I was trying to think, of, it was Jay, John Jay that said he was our first chief justice of the Supreme Court and one of the authors of the Federalist Papers, he said, the most effectual means of securing the continuance of our civil and religious liberties is always remember with reverence and gratitude the source from which they flow. So if, if those nations don't get that part, if they, if they don't have that acknowledgement of God as the source of that freedom, think about just what that means practically. That means if there is no God and he's not the source of your freedom, that means my freedom comes from you. Uh, I give you freedom, you give me freedom. We all come together and, and try to make this thing work. But then that really takes us to the law of the tiger and the shark, because then whoever's strongest can take away freedom. And so it really becomes government or your neighbor being the source of the freedom instead of God. And that's why our system works so well. 
So these principles work every time they're tried, but you have to have all those principles in there if you want the result. Well, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, please give him a call at 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. Be sure to share our website with your family, friends, and your church. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. <laughs>